it's was taking place in originally in a, a little house on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles, California. A prayer meeting that individuals were coming together and praying and, and seeking for the sign that, that God gave to the people in that book of Acts that we would read about. And they themselves wanted to experience that same thing that they did. They were praying. They had heard some stories of recently of how in Topeka, Kansas, there were a group just a couple of years prior, two years prior to uh, to their prayer meetings there on Bonnie Bray Street, of how in Topeka, Kansas, there were a group of people who were praying, and they had been filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. And, and then from there in Houston, Texas, there were some who had experienced that. And then... Uh, Brother Seymour, William Seymour, was moving from Houston, Texas, out to Los Angeles. And he began to tell them about this in these prayer meetings. In, in these prayer meetings, God began to pour out his spirit. It began a revival that moved from Bonnie Bray Street to a rundown, a rundown building on Azusa Street. And in that rundown building, there was prayer meetings that began to take place and people began to be filled with the Holy Ghost. This was 1904, 1905, 19, early 1900s that they began to experience these, this revival. There was a, an article that was written in the Los Angeles Times. Los Angeles Times and that's Day. This is in 1908 that this article was written. It was there on the front page of the newspaper. The headline says, A new sect of fanatics is breaking loose. There's a wild scene last night on Azusa Street. There's a gurgle of wordless talk by a sister. I began to explain this. They had sent a reporter there to these meetings that had by this time been lasting every day for several years. They said, beginning to explain what this reporter saw that day, he said, breathing strange utterances and mouthing a creed which it would seem no, man, no sane mortal could understand, the newest religious sect has started in Los Angeles. Meetings are held in a tumble-down shack on Azusa Street, near San Pedro Street, in the, develop, in the devotees of the weird doctrine practice the most fanatical rites. They preach the wildest theories, and they work themselves into a state of mad excitement in their peculiar zeal. Colored people and a sprinkling of whites compose the congregation, and night is made hideous in the neighborhood by the howlings of the worshipers, who spend hours swaying forth and back in a nerve-wracking attitude of prayer and supplication. They claim to have the gift of tongues and to be able to comprehend the babble. So such a startling claim has never yet been made by any company of fanatics, even in Los Angeles, the home of almost numberless creeds. Sacred tenets reverently mentioned by the Orthodox believer are dealt with in a familiar if not irreverent manner, by these latest religionists. He goes on to explain, uh, he doesn't name him, but of William Seymour, who was the leader. He says, an old colored exhorter, blind in one eye, is the major domo of the company. With his stony optic fixed on some luckless unbeliever, the old man yells his defiance and he challenges an, an answer. Anathemas are heaped upon him. Who shall dare to gainsay the utterances of the preacher? Clasped in his big fist, the colored brother holds a miniature Bible from which he reads at, inter at intervals one or two words, nevermore. After an hour spent in exhortation, the brethren present are invited to join in a meeting of prayer, song, and testimony. And then is when the pandemonium breaks loose. In bounds of reason are passed by those who are filled with the Spirit, whatever that means. He begins to write, the author of this article 
begins to write uh, in trying uh, to write in tongues. He says, you, Gulu, come the Balulu. Says that's what the old mammy is saying in a frenzy of religious zeal, swinging her arms wildly. She is there continuing in the strangest harangue ever uttered. Few are her words that are intelligible. For the most part, her testimony contains this outrageous jumble of syllables which are listed or which are listened to with awe by the company. He goes to continue. He says, one of the wildest of the meetings was held last night. And the, high, and, the, and the highest pitch of excitement was reached by the gathering, which continued in worship until nearly midnight. The old exhorter urged the sisters to let the tongues come forth. And the women gave themselves over to a riot, a religious fervor. As a result of, uh, of this, the, they were overcome with excitement and almost fainted. Undismayed by the fearful attitude of the colored worshiper, another black woman jumped on the floor and she began a wild gesticulation which ended in a gurgle of wordless prayers which were nothing less than shocking. She's speaking in an unknown tongue, announced the leader in an awed whisper. Keep on, sister. The sister continued until it was necessary to assist her to a seat because of her bodily fatigue. They began to explain what was what it was like to be there in that little run-down shack in Azusa Street. Well, what must it have been like to be there in that revival? It was in that revival that lasted, as I said, every night for a nearly 10 years that they would gather there and they would see healings take place. They would see people being filled with the Holy Ghost. There were those that came from around the world to experience what was happening there on Azusa Street. There were those that as they came, they then went back to their own places. In fact, this article does continue and tells about a Jewish man who would, uh, his name was Gold and he claimed to have to hold the highest position in the synagogues of the United States, but he was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it mentioned here the blacks and the whites and it wasn't just them, but we see every tribe and nation of under heaven that was gathered there and they went back to their places and they began to see a revival break out there following this, these meetings on Azusa Street. That must have been an incredible experience to be there in that room. It must have been it had been just an incredible thing to, to come into that place where the, the, the Holy Ghost was being poured out. And for them, this was something new. This was something that was uh, un, unexplainable except until they went to the Scripture and they read in the book of Acts how there were those on that day that were filled with the Holy Ghost and those around them wondered, what does this mean? When they began to tell them, it says that those there were three thousand on the outside who were then experience got to experience the same thing as those in the room on that day. Amen. I, I began to wonder what does it like to be there. And today we don't have an opportunity to go back in a time machine a hundred years and and to be there in the Azusa Street Mission. But I can tell you that those who did experience it. They had some stories to tell. See, there's something about being in the place where God is moving. There's something about coming and, and being in the, in the very place where the Spirit of God is. And, and when you are there, that's, there's no better place that you could be. Right? There's no better place that you can ever be than to be in the very location where the Spirit of God is being poured out and the promises of God are, are coming to pass. There's no better place, nothing better that you can ever experience in this life than to be in the very uh, midst of where God is moving. 
And I know we have those who are gathered here right now. And I believe that God, He wants to move in this very place here today. And that God wants to fill somebody with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that He wants to refill somebody with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In fact, if you're watching online today, I want you to know that you are in the very place that God is able to begin to pour out His Spirit in that room where you're at. It doesn't matter where you are. The Spirit of God can be poured out if you would allow Him to enter in to that place. I want to just speak just for a little bit here this morning on this subject of being in the place of your promise. You have to get to the place of your promise. You have to get to the place of your promise. I want to go to an Old Testament story just to, uh, just to get us to this, uh, to an understanding of where I'm, I'm talking this morning. It's, it comes to us in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 3 through 5. It says, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith. That is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and he dwelt by the brook Cherith, and that is before Jordan. Now, this is speaking here of a prophet named Elijah. Elijah was a man of God that, uh, that would come at this uh, very time to minister to the people of Israel. He came onto the scene very suddenly. In fact, it's in the previous chapter that we are first introduced to this man, Elijah. And listen to what God has to say about him here on this day as he is coming to meet Ahab, the king of Israel. Now, Ahab was a wicked king. It's, it, we read about him in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. It says, in the 38th year... Of Asa, the king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab was the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sons of Jeroboam. And he took a wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and he served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Now Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, Ahab here was a very wicked king. It tells us on several occasions there in that passage that Ahab was not a good king, that in fact, he was a, a king that rebelled against God. He was reckless in his disregard for the things of God. He, he married a foreign wife that served idols and he brought them into Israel. He, he, wor- he himself worshipped Baal and set up an altar to worship Baal. He then financed Hiel to rebuild the city of Jericho, which God had explicitly instructed Joshua to remain desolate, a desolate wasteland for the rest of life so that they could remember what God had done. So clearly we're not just talking about a bad king, but we're talking about a wicked king. And this king, he, uh, this wicked king comes and we see God send Elijah, this prophet, to this man to tell him what God is about to do. When he does so, Elijah tells him that a drought is about to come to Israel. That God is going to shut up the heavens for a matter of, of, of time until he says that it will rain. And he comes to the king and he tells him that. Now the king was not so happy about this. But Elijah he knew that he was in the will of God. And so he did what God had asked him to. And he went, he told the king. But now he needs to go and listen to where God is leading him. 
He needs to get to the place where God will provide. And so he listens to the voice of God. And God tells him, as we read in our first passage there, to go to the brook of Cherith. And Cherith is a place where God says, I will provide for you. He says, go there in this time of the drought, and I will always have provision waiting for you. Go, and in fact, it's not going to come by some person bringing you the food, but I'm going to personally send the ravens to take care of you. And so he goes, he listens to where God is leading him, and he gets to the brook of Cherith, and he gets there, and he has the water. He gets to the place where God is providing for him, and the the ravens, they miraculously come. They bring him food every day. And just imagine being this man Elijah on that day when God is bringing him the food, that he knows this is nothing but the hand of God. You, you know when you're in the presence of God. I, I don't know about you, but just a little bit ago, I, I, I knew, and I, I still feel it now, that, that I know I'm in the presence of God. When I'm in the presence of God, I, I'm confident that, that this, is, this is God working in this place. And, and I, Elijah, in that time, he knew God was working. He knew that God was taking care of him. But all of a sudden, it did, I don't know how long exactly it took, but that brook began to dry up. And that brook, as it dried up, all of a sudden, the ravens even stopped bringing the food. And now, and it, sometimes we get to a place, and you are there, and you know you're in the presence of God, but all of a sudden, the situation begins to change. And you begin to question, and things, things don't look exactly like you expected them to look. Anybody ever been there before? You're in the presence of God, you're in the will of God, but then things begin, you know, you hit a few roadblocks and some things along the way and he began to question is this right but what Elijah did when the brook dried up and when the raven stopped bringing the food is he listened to, to hear what God was telling him to do next what do I do next and God had some explicit instructions for him for what to do next See, he had a season where he was there to be there in the brook of Cherith. But now God says, I want you to go to another place and you're going to be provided for by a widow. And so he goes and he he finds the city of Zarephath where God was sending him. And when he gets to Zarephath, he does find a woman that's gathering some sticks. Now, this isn't a woman of great provision. In fact, she has nothing. She's gathering the sticks to make her very last meal. But God says, this is who I'm sending you to. This is the place where I want you to be. This is the place. I I, I fed you by the ravens before in the brook of Cherith during the drought. But now I'm sending you to a place where I will provide for you. Now what's happening here is, is that he's learning to trust God. Elijah is learning to trust the voice of God. And he goes and he asks this woman for a meal. God had told him, ask her uh, to, to bake something for you. And as she asks her, she says, well, I only have enough for one meal for myself and my son. And then we don't know what we're going to do. He says, well, if you could just make that meal for me, I believe that God's going to provide. And so she in faith or obedience uh, believing that he's the man of God, goes and does this, and God does provide. We, we see in this story that, that God, he provides for her every day that she wakes up. There is new oil in her cruise. There is more flour in her, in her pantry there, and she's able every day to be sustained because God is providing for them. But here's what I want to, to, to get to, is that in the midst of this, as he was getting to the place where his promise was at, he was learning to trust God. See, trusting God allows you to stay in sync with the timing of God. And it brings you in contact with the resources of God. And the resources of God will show up when you get to the place where he has sent you. See, what you're doing is you're trusting his plan Elijah 
trusted the plan of God. God said, go to Cherith. And he went to Cherith. He trusted the voice of God. There was the timing. He says, I have commanded the ravens. Notice this. God had already commanded the ravens. This was already set in motion. The promises of God were already set in motion on that day. What were they to do? They were to feed him. The resources, the promise was already set in motion to come and to take care of, of, of Elijah. He had, to get, he had to get in alignment with God. Now, when all of that, when all of that kind of blows up, the brook dries up, He has to do this all over again. He has to trust God. He has to figure out the timing of God and to know that this is the very place and be in alignment with God and to trust that God has a promise for him. And when he does this, God showed up every time. See, we have to get to the place where God has commanded our promise to show up. You got to get to the place where he has uh, commanded your promise. God has already set a promise in motion for you. God has already set up in motion the the promise that he has in store for you. And it's it's not just about providing your daily bread. It's, it's, It's about God's plan for your life. That he has some promises that will come into your life and will be fulfilled in your life if you... Listen to his voice. See, Abraham, we see him seeking the the, the voice of God and God uh, speaking to him and telling him to leave the land of his fathers. And he had grown up in a pagan land. And and God told him, I want you to go to to a place that I will show you. That literally in the Hebrew, the word that's, that's used there means that I will cause you to see it. There is more than just showing up at the place and seeing it with your human eyes. Abraham had to show up in a certain condition. He had to have faith in his walk. He had to have faith in his journey to the place where he was going. God was calling him to show up to a place of promise, to a promised land. But when he arrived there, it didn't quite look like what he expected. Abraham's perspective was, I'm going to go to a place. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be luscious with, with all these things. And he gets there and he sees a drought. He sees famine. It's like, this can't be it. This can't be what God has called me to. So he goes and he's searching for a better place. And he goes there and and eventually God is still blessing him even in the midst of the drought, even in the midst of this. Why? Because he's walking by faith. He's going to the place where God called him to. He went to the place where God called him to. See, he got to the place. He's walking by faith and he he saw or he got there, but he didn't he didn't see it with his human eyes and the in the the way he didn't see the promise fulfilled the way that God wanted to fulfill it. See, how many of us do this in our walk? We don't see we don't see things the way that God sees them in our lives. Sometimes we get to the place of the promise and we begin wondering, God, what else do you have for me? But God says, it's right here where you're at. Come on, you come to church sometimes and you wonder, God, why am I not feeling anything? And you look around and it's like, man, I don't see anybody else, you know, really, uh, you know, getting all the promises and all this. And why, you know, maybe you see them getting it. And it's like, why am I not receiving my promise? you open up your eyes, God has a promise for you. God has a promise for you here today. And what had to happen for Abraham was for his eyes to be opened. And he had a, he had with him a a, a certain family member that he had brought with him. It was his nephew Lot. That word Lot literally means veil. It was a veil that he had had. This is a tag along from the place that he was supposed to leave. There came a day when the veil was taken off of Abraham. They separated. That Abraham and Lot separated. And in that moment, Abraham got to a place where he began to see the very promises of God being f- fulfilled for him 
right where he was at. He had gotten to the promised land where God was fulfilling some things in his life. And the veil, his, his perspective began to change. And he began to see, God, your spirit is, or God, God your, your, your will for my life is being fulfilled right here where I am. And he saw that, that there was, uh, that what he saw with his human eyes before didn't look like the promise fulfilled. But now, all of a sudden, he began to build an altar. And he says, God, I thank you for the promise that you've given me. God, I thank you for everything that you've given me. And I'm in the very place where you promised for me to go. See, I come to the, to the New Testament and I, and I see the story of of this, uh, of Jesus when he's he's ministering in a in a house. Jesus is teaching in this house, and it says the whole house was full. You know the story where where Jesus is there, the whole house is full, and and there becomes some people who they they have a promise that they, they know that Jesus is a healer. They have a friend who who he's a paralytic. He's he, he's not able to walk, and they know if I can just get him inside the house where Jesus is at, I know that he can be healed. I know that my friend could be healed if I could just get him into the room, into the place of the promise. Well, there's something to be said about being in the place, in the right place at the right time. There's something to be said about being in the house where Jesus is at. There's something to be said about about getting into the very place where you know Jesus is there and he's able to do anything and he's able to fill you with his spirit. He's able to go and perform miracles. God, Jesus is able to do anything. If I could just get my friend into the house. But the problem was the house was full. As the house was full, they said, we've got to get to the place of the promise. So what did they do? They found a way to get to the place. It says that they brought their friend on a stretcher and they brought him up to the roof of the house. And they began to peel back the shingles of the roof of the house and they tore it apart. And, and they began to, to tear apart a big enough hole to begin to lower their friend into the place of the promise. And as he got down into the place of the promise, they, they saw that Jesus, he, he, he began to, to notice that these people know what it means to get into the place where anything is possible. That these people here, they have enough faith to get to where the promise can come to pass. And they know that anything can happen when we get into the right place. You see, but it wasn't just about being in the, in the place because there were a lot of people in the place that didn't receive a miracle that day. They saw a miracle happen, but they didn't experience a miracle for themselves. It was some people that had the right mindset when they were in the place. In the place where God was, where Jesus was that day, and they said anything is possible if we could just get in the place of the promise. And in their mindset, they got to the place. And what did Jesus do in that day? It says that he forgave this man of his sins, and then he told him, rise up and walk. And this man who was laid on a stretcher, he got up out off that stretcher, and he walked out of that house because anything is possible when you get in the presence of God. And I'm telling you that anything is possible when you get in the place where God has positioned you and you have the right mindset, you have the right mind frame. Come on, I believe that they on the day of, of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that they were all with one accord in one place. That means that their mindset was made up. That we believe that the promise is coming. We believe that God is here he's about to pour out his spirit in this place. He, Jesus had told them, go and tarry in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise. Wait, you're going to be endued with power from on high. And they got there and they began to pray. And as they prayed, they got into the place of the promise. And let me tell you, there was something special about being in the very place where the promise would be poured out. Jesus had told 500 people to go to Jerusalem, but it tells us that only 120 were there on the day of Pentecost. 
I'd hate to be one of the 380 who, who, who weren't in the place where the Spirit was poured out. I'd hate to be one of the 380 who missed out when Jesus told them, go to the place of the promise. And they said, I've got other things to do. They got, they said, I, I don't, you know, I need to get back to my job, right? I need to get back to my family. And yeah, there's some things that we have to do. But when God has a promise for you, come on, let's go to the place of the promise because God can do anything when you get into the right place at the right time. See, the day was already established when his spirit would be poured out. Then as soon as Jesus was crucified on that day of the Passover, that set in motion the day of the promise. That set in motion that the spirit of God would be poured out in that upper room on that day. It set in motion just like God had already set in motion those ravens to provide for Elijah. God had already set in motion a promise. People who trusted the plan of God. They were in sync with the timing of God. They believed that God had everything that they needed. They allowed their lives to be in alignment with the plan of God. Here they are. They're showing up to the place of promise. Let me just tell you today, you're in this place, and I'm not going to be much longer here. In fact, if our musicians could already come, I believe that God has in store for us today in this place. He's already set in motion some things that he wants to accomplish in your life. A promise that God wants to pour out into your life and to allow that to take place here today. And you are in the right place at the right time. The one thing that we need to do is to make sure that our minds are in alignment with what God is about to do in this place. Here's the question is, do you believe that the promise is for you? Do you believe that the promise, the one that's already been set in motion, do you believe that it's for you today? That's my question. You're in the right place. This is the right time. But do you believe That it's for you. For Abraham, he he got to the place. He got to the land where God was sending him. But it wasn't until his eyes were opened up and he began to see, all right, God, this is the promise. It may look a little different than, than what I anticipated, but God, this is the promise. This is the place. And his eyes were opened up. And you today, maybe, maybe you've been here and you've been attending New Life for some time and you've seen others who they've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but you yourself haven't experienced it yet. I want you to know it's not because there's anything off or wrong or that it's not for you or it's not your timing. God wants to fill you with His Spirit today. God wants to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost today in the same way that he did there on the day of Pentecost, in the same way that he did there in Azusa Street in the 1900s. God wants to fill you with the same spirit that they experienced then and we experience today. This promise is unto you, to your children, all of them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is the place of the promise. This is the place right now. If you're watching online right now, you can be, you can get on your knees, you can lift up your hands, and you can, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost wherever you're at right now. I wonder if we could just all stand if you're in this place right now. If you could stand with us. And if there's anybody here today who wants to receive the promise, this promise we, we talked about it in our first service if you're here with us the the promise of the Holy Ghost it will transform your life there is nothing like the promise of the Father if you want to receive the Holy Ghost today I, I wonder if you could step out in faith because what happens is when you have an expectation to receive amen God he's here he's here to give it 
If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you have never experienced it before, if, the, if you want to step out in faith right now and come up to this altar, we have those who will come alongside you and that will pray with you. Oh, and if you've been coming for some time and, and you, want, you want to know, come on, is this for me? Why, why haven't I received it yet? Don't worry. The time is now. God is able here today to pour out His Spirit. Amen. His promise is for you. His promise is for you. Amen. Come on, the Holy Ghost is about to be poured out in this place here today. If you believe that right now, would you just lift up your hands? Well, if there's, is there anybody else right now who needs to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Amen. I want to invite you to come up right now. We have those that are praying with you. I believe that God's Spirit is going to be poured out in this very place, in this day. Come on, this is the place. You're in the right place. The promise is now. Come on right now in Jesus' name, God. Hallelujah. up our hands, we just begin to pray and to say, God, here I am, Lord, I want to receive it the same way that they did there on the day of Pentecost. Lord, let me receive that promise right now. Lord, as you begin to worship Him, His Spirit will be poured out in this house. His Spirit will be poured out in your life. That promise will come. Amen. If you need the Holy Ghost right now, just lift up your hands. Believe in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on. Church, could you help us pray? Could you help us pray with those right now that are here? They say this mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they
out his spirit here right now. Amen. If you have any need of anything today, come on, God is here right now. God is here right now. Amen. We've already seen a mighty move of the Holy Ghost. Amen. But I want to welcome or invite you up to this altar right now. If you have need of anything, any promise, the one of God is available to you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Come on. I want you to hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm praying God turn this thing around. turn it around. turn it around. turn it around. I'm calling on. Turn it around. 
我记忆。